Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel is in about the middle and to the right in your Bible. We are in the 20th chapter this week. I told you that we'd get two or three sermons out of chapter 20. I think I'm going to upgrade that to three or four. Uh, but some, some really interesting things happening here in chapter 20, and I really just want to get right to it. So we will pick up where we left off. That is, last Sunday, or the last Sunday that I preached, excuse me, that was two Sundays ago. We finished up with verse 11, so we begin this morning with verse 12. God has already told them, uh, retold as it were, the story of their um, captivity in Egypt and how he, with his mighty hand, delivered them out. And then he's continuing that story into the wilderness and the rebellion that happened in the wilderness. So verse 12, Moreover, I gave them, this is the children of Israel, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them, that they might know that I am the Lord, that repeated line throughout Ezekiel. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eye spared them. I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourself with their idols. I am Yahweh your God. Walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. Keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am Yahweh your God. But the children rebelled against me. Oh, wait, does it go to 20? Do we keep going? That's, yeah, it goes till 20. Sorry, I forgot my own stopping place. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and so we say... Thanks be to God. So you may have noticed Ezekiel talks about Sabbath here a couple of times. More specifically about Israel in the wilderness and their failure to keep Sabbath. The language Ezekiel uses is that of profaning my Sabbaths. And so we're going to talk a little bit this morning about Sabbath, rest, and profaning the Sabbath as Israel did. So the word, if you're not familiar with it, the word Sabbath, and in Hebrew it's Shabbat, it basically means, yes, to rest. That is what the word most basically means. You could also translate it to cease or to stop. And so this, this probably takes us back to a different chapter 20. As soon as you hear the word Sabbath, your mind is probably taken where mine immediately went, which was to Exodus chapter 20, where God gives what we call the Ten Commandments. And in the commandment about the Sabbath, we are given two things. So if we'll go there, please, uh, chapter 20, verse 8 of Exodus. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Okay? And from there, I don't remember, I honestly don't remember if I have the whole text. No, I don't. Jump back up, please. We'll hold it there for a moment. I'm just going to read to you the entirety of the fourth commandment. So listen, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourners within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right. So in verse eight, we have two commands that are then expanded on later in the passage that I just read to you. And those two commands are remember and set apart. Okay, or keep it holy. Same idea. Make this day special. It's different from the others. That's the idea. So remember, because of uh, so, so. So why remember? Let's start there. Why remember the Sabbath day? Because of all the Ten Commandments, this is the one that is easiest to forget. Our larger catechism is really helpful here. The Westminster Larger Catechism dedicates an entire question and answer just to why is this word remember here in the fourth commandment. And basically what our larger catechism says is that we're commanded to remember this one because it's the easiest one to forget because it's restraining something that is not by itself sinful. So working is not sinful. After the fall, working is painful very often, but it's not sinful. Work was instituted by God. Work is good. So this commandment restricts something that is not in and of itself sinful. And that makes it easier to neglect, easier to forget. If you're curious, if you want to Google it later, that's larger catechism question 121. The whole thing is is really good. So set apart, so remember is the first one, set apart, sanctify, make holy is the second one. Set this day apart. It is special. The reason given comes in verse 11. So we go there, please. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and then a bunch of uh, details. Why? For in six days, Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so you've got your reason there. God made it and God blessed it, right? You with me so far? That's the reason why I'm remembering this day, because God made it and God set it apart and blessed it. So you do the same. You remember this day, you set it apart. So what does this rest mean, Sabbath rest? Well, where it has to start is, Sabbath rest is remembering what God has done, that all of this, look around yourself, all of this is His, and that this day is special. In other words, there is something about understanding God's work and power, made everything, heaven and earth, that gives you access to this rest. Okay? I mean, notice the connection there. Remember this day, keep it holy. Why? Because in six days, Almighty God did all of this, right? That's where the creed starts, maker of heaven and earth. And he rested on it, therefore it's holy. Understanding God's work and power gives you access to this rest. Where's further proof of that? If you want further proof, go to Psalm 3. Let's go there now. Uh, The third psalm in which we read the following. Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes? 
Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, he's hopeless, right? There's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and I rested. I lay down and I slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You hear the courage there, right? He's got, David's got thousands of people coming at him and he's, he can lie down and sleep. He can go to sleep even though all his enemies, bunches and bunches and hordes of them, are coming for him. That is rest. When you are troubled by the things of the world, you are, we, we, we call it, restless, are you not? You might have trouble falling asleep, for example, because the, the things, that, the concerns of this world are causing sleep to flee from you. Contrast that with David, who starts by listing all of his problems, the reasons that he should be kept up at night, and he says, I lie down and sleep. There was a a comedian who pointed out that when you buy a mattress, it might come with a bed or box springs or things like that, but there's one thing a mattress doesn't come with, which is an instruction manual. Mattresses don't come with instructions because they're pretty sure you can figure that part out. Right? Nobody's going to teach you how to lie down on a mattress and go to sleep. And yet, that can actually be the difficult part sometimes if you're seized, as it were, with restlessness. And so, to go back to Ezekiel, God is saying that His children in the wilderness neglected, even profaned, Sabbath. Ezekiel condemns Israel's sin of profaning the Sabbath. Verse 12 is really the centerpiece here. I gave them my Sabbaths, the Lord says, as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The word Sabbath shows up five times between verse 12 and verse 22 here. Really important. We read that it's a gift from God that helps them to know God. That's verse 12. And then is verse 20 the next one? No? Okay. That's all right. I'll go to it. I have it here. I'm seeing in my notes. I might have forgotten to put that in. Verse 20. Well, I'll go to 19. I am Yahweh your God. Walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy. Keep them set apart. Keep them sanctified that they may be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So what did we learn in the fourth commandment, Exodus 20? We learned that Israel was commanded to sanctify or to set apart this day, right? That's Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 8. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, they were commanded to set apart this day. The additional information, if you like, that Ezekiel gives us is that not only are they to set apart the day, but when they do, the day sets them apart. I'll say that again. It's really important. What Ezekiel is teaching Israel is that, yes, you know that you are to set apart the day. When that happens, what also happens then is that the day sets you apart. Head to the next text in verse 12. Back to verse 12, rather. That's what we read. I am the Lord. When they keep their Sabbaths, they will know I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Not a day, but them. 
So will you, Israel, sanctify this day. And with this day, Israel, I will sanctify you. I will set you apart. You, Israel, set apart this day. And by this day, you yourselves will be set apart. Because while all the other nations carry on as though every day is the same, you will have this one day where everything Sabbaths, where everything ceases, where everything stops, everything rests. And so, in what can only be described as a judgment text, Ezekiel chapter 20 and following, frankly, is that part of the judgment is that they failed to keep Sabbath. They failed to be set apart. Violation of it, uh, profaning of it, means that the people of God were no longer different from the world. The reason why this matters is that the stuff you rest from on the Sabbath, which we will broadly call your work, that's something of an insufficient term for us, I think, but more on that in a moment. You you must either rest from your work or you will worship your work. Those are your two options. You rest from your work or you worship your work or you live as though you worship your work. Part of the trouble here when I use the word work is that everybody tends to think of my employment, mainly, or uh, maybe just more broadly, my responsibilities. So work is executing the responsibilities of my employment, or mowing the lawn, or doing my chores, or doing my taxes, or the responsibilities. I, I, I want us to open that up. Basically, it is all of our doing. I think that's a better word even than just work is all of our working and doing and trying and planning and providing and all, all, of, all of our doing. We are, <clears throat> it should be no secret to you, we are a culture consumed by anxiety such that anxiety is our new normal. God help us. I mean, that's, that's really not, it ought not be. But here we are. I mean, when was the last time you heard somebody say, you know, anxiety is not really a problem for me. Now, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Almost like proud and, and, and like, I'm, like somebody's bragging. That's actually the, the normal that we're called and invited to in Scripture. And so we are consumed by anxiety. Sometimes the reason is because we serve gods that are never satisfied. We call that idolatry. By that I mean, postmodernism has preached to us that it's up to us to design and construct our own identity based on our desires and personality and then to live out that identity fully and authentically, no matter what anybody says. It is hard to imagine a greater psychological burden. It's why, by the way, you and I have to be constantly flooded with all kinds of affirmation just to keep it going. We have to to constantly be told, you're okay, you're enough, you're strong, you're powerful, you're independent, you're worthy, you're special. We have to have all of that on blast and on repeat in our ears because if we're alone in the quiet for a minute too long, we start to daydream about our past and our present and kind of realize and remember just how foul and twisted we can be. My hope is that in things like our corporate confession of sin, where we get together and say we are sinners and failures and desperately need grace that's like a return volley 
into the world's corporate confession of we are good, we are fine, we are decent, we are lovely, we are okay, we are worthy of love and attention and affection and glory all the time. We're coming in on a Sunday morning, remembering our sin and remembering that all of it has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Mm. What Ezekiel shows us is that there is a correlation. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. I hadn't until Ezekiel helped me to start thinking about it. Ezekiel gives a correlation between refusal to rest, profaning of Sabbath, and idolatry itself. Verse 15, please. We go to verse 15 and we read, Moreover, God says, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules, did not walk in my statutes, profane my Sabbaths. Why? Their heart went after their idols. You see the connection. Right? Profane my Sabbaths because of their idols. Now, at first, this seems odd because the Pentateuch, particularly the book of Numbers, where you have a lot of the wilderness wanderings, uh, doesn't talk a lot about Israel's failure to keep their Sabbath. It doesn't seem obvious when you read Numbers. So what is then this connection between Sabbath and idolatry? Well, it becomes clearer when you start to think about it for just a little while because Sabbath, as I said, means rest or, or ceasing or stopping. You can only rest from your work and your anxiety and your fear and your uncertainty that troubles you and the stuff that keeps you awake when you live under God's rule. There is no difference between receiving God's rest and living under God's rule. Those, those are the, that's maybe inhaling and exhaling, if you like. But those are intimately connected. Israel fell into grave sin in the wilderness because they refused to trust God, instead trusting in their own ability to build their own, if we can put it this way, safe places, right? If only we were back in Egypt where everything was nice and we could control it. Oh my. They refused to expose themselves to, the way I want to put it, to the weirdness of belonging to Yahweh, the weirdness of belonging to God Almighty. There is an unbreakable connection between rejecting Sabbath rest and embracing idolatry. We tend to think of them maybe as different kinds of sins, but both reveal our desire to trust in ourselves and our own strength and our own work instead of our Creator and Sustainer. That's why in the New Covenant, God's people are called to enter into His rest. It's very interesting. The author of the letter to the Hebrews, takes this picture of violation of Sabbath rest from, guess where, the wilderness wanderings. I think he's, he's just read Ezekiel really carefully. And so he takes the wilderness wandering. He sees it as the big problem being that they failed to honor God's Sabbath commandment. If we can go there, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And as earlier, when I, uh, when I read from chapter 20 in Ezekiel, I'm going to read to you right now from Hebrews 4. I would just like to remind you that these portions of the sermon are the only infallible parts, right? The only absolutely perfect parts. Hear God's word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to 
us justice to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, talking about Israel in the wilderness, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For as we have believed, for we who have believed, excuse me, enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken. How do you like that? Whenever you can't, can't think of the address of a Bible passage, remember, neither could the author of one of the books of the Bible. He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's the point. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So hold hold there in verse 11. When he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That's a weird thing to say. Now, by the way, I just read that huge chunk to you. That is its own sermon that I'm not going to try to preach. But I wanted, I wanted you to hear the whole text. And I want to focus in on what, uh, what his conclusion is here in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Let us strive to stop striving. Let us work to rest from working. Let us try to rest from trying, if you like. But what does it mean to enter rest? And for our purposes here this morning, how is it that you and I are called to keep the Lord's Day? How should we keep the Lord's Day? Do any of you know? I would suggest that a very simple way to put it would be to rest from your daily work and faithfully worship God. I didn't tell the little ones I was going to give them an opportunity there, but that's from our children's catechism. How shall we keep the Lord's day? I should rest from my daily work and faithfully worship God. In its simplest form, what that means, or excuse me, that is in, in its simplest form what keeping the Lord's day means. So how does that work itself out? How does Sabbath rest and worship, again, uh, rest from my daily work and faithfully worship God? How does that look? How does that sound? How does that smell? I've thought about this question a lot in my own personal life and practice, and I've wrestled with it. I've wrestled with it up here in the pulpit in front of all of you before. It will probably come up in a sermon again because it is a question that is really important to me and just keeps coming back. How does Sabbath rest look for the Christian living in the new covenant, worshiping on the Christian Sabbath, the day of our Lord's resurrection, living in 21st century central Louisiana? What does it mean to rest? Here's what I've got so far. It is not, mm, it is not necessarily sitting in perfect, quiet meditation on Scripture. You know why? Because if it was, then only single people and newlyweds and retirees could obey the fourth commandment. (laughs) Right? Y'all know what I mean. It is not 
perfect quietness. It is not divinely commanded me time. Me time is, I think, in many ways, the great idolatry of our culture. In many cases, we have taken, for example, the concept of introversion and have used it to mask our hatred of people. Sabbath rest is not retreat into isolation. That doesn't mean isolation is always bad or that rest can't come from quietness and solitude. For heaven's sake, it is your shepherd who makes you lie down in green pastures and who leads you beside still waters and in doing so restores your soul, gives rest to your soul, I might even say. So that is part of it. But Sabbath rest is not simply the cessation of noise and the dismissal of people. There are two ways I want you to think of Sabbath rest this morning. Both of them I am drawing from our text in Ezekiel. So if we'll go back to chapter 20, verse 12 in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 20, God tells His people, you are to sanctify... Sorry, He's already told them to sanctify the day. He tells them here, this day also sanctifies them. Right? Their Sabbaths between me and them, because I'm the Lord who sanctifies them, sets them apart. So that means at the very least... Our Sabbath rest practices should cause us to stop, to cease, in such a way that the rest of the world keeps on moving and you look weird. Okay? Rest of the world keeps on moving and you look weird. It will look weird when you refuse to let your kid play travel ball because the games are on Sunday. It will look weird if you determine in your own conscience to avoid games on TV, for example, because they stir up your anxiety and anger. It will look weird if you totally turn your phone off and become unreachable so you can give your eyes and your attention to your friends and family. Sabbath means that for 24 hours, you seem to be, if I can borrow one of the worst expressions ever, Sabbath rest means that for 24 hours, you seem to be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. I think that's, an, that's nonsense, right, broadly speaking. To be heavenly-minded is to be of great earthly good. But, but Sabbath is almost, you're, you're so heavenly-minded that for a minute, you're, you're not walking on terra firma. So the, the first way is setting apart the day by allowing the day to set you apart. Okay? Second way of practicing rest is rest from your idolatry. Verse 16. Right? Because they rejected my rules, did not walk in my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths. Why? For their heart went after their idols. Okay? So there's this connection then between profaning the Sabbath and between, uh, and, and between idolatry. I am inferring from that that the Sabbath can actually be a great help in fighting idolatry when rightly kept. So, the second way of practicing God's rest is by resting from your idolatry and sin. There you go. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't that every day? Right? Pastor Brian, don't you want us to rest from our sin every day? Yes, but Sabbath rest is, if I can put it this way, resting from idolatry in a way that's harder to do in the midst of your busy. Okay? In the midst of all you're doing. I mean, have you ever just stopped to reflect on the way your enemy tricks you and clobbers you with temptation and fear 
and anger and lust. I mean, like, what's the, what's the backdrop, the, uh, the, the backstory before the sin? It's usually in the midst of your daily doing. Fear pops up. You're just about your work and you start considering your deadlines, your insecurities, your future. Anger pops up. You start thinking about disappointments and offenses and what that person said to you and what they did. Lust pops up when you're just going about the daily business of interacting with people or maybe seemingly harmlessly using your technology. Part of Sabbath rest, then, is reducing the opportunities for sin that are otherwise kind of just all around us in the midst of our working by setting apart a day where fewer temptations can trouble us. And that itself is a kind of sacrifice. That itself is this striving to enter God's rest. Why? One reason, we sang it earlier, right? about our enemy, his craft and power are great. Your enemy is perhaps never so active to entice you into temptation as he is on Sunday morning. Some of you know what I'm talking about, it would seem. How many hiccups and errors and frustrations happen just like before 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday? Can I get a witness? (laughs) Getting ready, running late, literally everything going wrong, plumbing going wrong, technology going wrong, Electricity going wrong, and invitations to sin abound. I don't mind telling you that the servants before you who long to lead you well in worship struggle with sin as well. Sometimes our music team gets into fights. (gasps) Yeah, I mean, sometimes it happens, right? Sometimes Eddie just fights with himself. Frustration with tech. (laughs) Irritation that everything is not sufficiently ready to go as it ought to be. Not an excuse for laziness, but but, ah, these temptations are real. So how do we enter into rest? The best way I've found is to... The best way I've found to explain it is to remind you that one day we will be freed from sorrow and sin. One day we will be free from all anxiety and anger. One day we will enter in to the eternal everlasting celebration of our Redeemer. Where our minds and affections and desires and loves and delights will all be rightly ordered and rightly enjoyed. Sabbath rest means that every Lord's Day we try to imagine what that will be like and kind of imitate it just for one day. One day, we will rest from all of our labor. So today, we put our labor down. One day, we will enjoy eternal heavenly fellowship with each other. And so we gather together for prayer and for encouragement. One day, we will hear and see Jesus with our own resurrected eyes and ears. And so we gather together to hear Him in His Word, to see Him in His sacrament. One day we will be unbothered by sin. So we seek to be as unbothered by sin as we possibly can for a 24-hour period. God help us. One day we will know no sadness. 
So for one day, we set aside our grief and we laugh and feast together. It is heavenly dress rehearsal. So how does that look from, let's say, from 12 p.m. today to bedtime? For most of us, it just means less screen time and more people time. Okay? For most of us, that is, that is going to be like a great place to start. Less screen time and more people time. And my wife is looking at me thinking, you'd better be preaching to yourself. I am. <laughs> it means more conversation and less isolation. Some of you desperately need to rest your soul from your news feed and your 24-hour cable news cycle. You desperately need to rest from it. You need to unplug your television and say, I will not allow myself to be tempted to worship the God of information today. Some of you just need to turn your phones off on Sunday. Or put your headphones in the drawer for the day. So that you can avoid temptation and flee isolation instead of fleeing human beings. Okay? Some of you need to get out of your house, into sunshine, into fellowship. Don't miss that Hebrews 4, that passage about Sabbath rest, occurs in the context of a unit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, plural, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This is a community problem. And so, celebration of our Sabbath occurs in our community and fellowship together, listening to God's words together. And so, what if we said, today, I will lift up my praises to God and live as though my fears are entirely cut off. Today, I'm going to live as if, heavenly dress rehearsal, as if His kingdom has come completely. Today, we're going to celebrate and sing and feast and trust the Lord our work can wait. If times are hard, it means we're going to be glad and thankful. If the house is loud, maybe we can sing louder or go to the park or get ice cream because it's, it's the Sabbath and there'll be ice cream in the new heavens and the new earth and it'll be fantastic, right? It'll be the best you've ever had. There'll be no pineapple on the pizza. Be, it'll be wonderful. Why? Because, why do we do this? Because it's Sabbath, because it's our feast day. And so today I'm going to get a little taste, a little taste of what it would be like to live without worry or anxiety or fear or the need to be in control. And I'm going to prepare my heart and my house and my toys and my technology so that I can actually do that a little. You know what it's like if, if you're resting on something and it moves, right? You stop resting on it. Uh, right after Marissa and I got married, I discovered something I didn't know before, which is that the bed on which I sleep is really loud and creaky. And until somebody else comes to live with you, you don't know that, uh, right? And so those first couple of weeks, it was very little rest because I didn't want to move because one movement, and then I, I wake up, this person that I love, and she's just learned to sleep through it. 
But if you're, if you're resting on something and it moves and it goes unsteady, you are now unsteady. You're no longer resting. So it is with life. If you are resting on your goodness, you will be constantly unstable. If you are resting on your niceness, you will be constantly unstable. On your relationship, on your marriage, for heaven's sake. On the behavior of your spouse. On your own wisdom. This is especially true across like generations. We get such a sense of self-righteousness because I'm so much better than these boomers or these millennials. Or how about just resting in your own work? Right? You work hard. You do a good job. You check all the boxes. What comes after that? Well, appreciation. Rewards. Recognition. Accolades. And I'd better get it. <laughs> for all my hard work, otherwise I will rage. That's idolatry. What if you could rest from your self-importance? What if you could rest from your imagined slights, your manufactured offenses, your invented needs, and your record-keeping? You see why Ezekiel ties together rejection of Sabbath and the idolatry. This is God's kindness seen in the fourth commandment. He is good enough to give us rest, and then He is kind enough to absolutely demand that we rest, because if we don't, we will imagine ourselves to be little gods of our own sad little worlds, and we will be destroyed. So what is Sabbath rest? Sabbath rest is a weekly detox where you stop listening to all the voices and songs and stories that tell you to be scared or sad or angry or indignant or unsatisfied. And instead, you hear from God Almighty in His Word and at His table and with His people and remind yourself afresh that you are not saved by all this doing and striving and working. And instead, your only real and great and worthwhile striving is striving to stop striving. Striving to enter in to His rest. The rest that is given to you is a gift from the One who is always solid and dependable and unchangeable. Do you see? So, so therefore, all you need is need. If you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness He requires is to know your need of Him. So strive to cease from striving. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. In His name, Amen. And so our Father, as we again this morning gather together to celebrate, to feast, and to rest, teach us how to rest. Teach us how to enter in to the rest that You've given us. Teach us how to participate with glad hearts in this heavenly dress rehearsal. Help me, Lord, most of all, for I need lots of help in this. This sermon was the product of what I have long needed to learn. And so we pray, Lord, for your mercy as we strive to cease from striving. Fill us up this morning with your own grace, forgiveness, encouragement, and joy at your table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.